Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 84. Hello, literary rock star alchemists. I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest hosts. That's right. And then we dig into their story, toss some sand around, sift through it for the bones of... I have no idea where I'm going with <laughs> <laughs> right. You made a valiant effort, man. It's been a while. It has been a while. But yeah, what is but, our... But, what is, but? but ultimately, ultimately, what we are looking for are those... Flashing little nuggets of literary, literary gold. gold. Yes. We got there eventually. That's right. Virtual high five, bro. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Well, dear friends, uh, uh, for, for you who have joined us in the last year or so, uh, uh, you're, you're wondering who this Brian Humphrey is. But those of you who are there from the beginning, you know that this is my my, my brother from another mother. Hell yeah. He, he who, without whom the round table would not be, because there was no way in God's green earth I was going to do this alone. So... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to take somebody down with me if I was going to go down in flames. Brian Humphrey, uh, dude, welcome back, man. Uh, Thank you, sir. And it has always been my pleasure to be your wingman and sacrificial lamb. (laughs) And I have thrown you under the bus so many times. And you kept. I'm I'm durable. You are. You're rugged. You're you're fucking Viking. (laughs) You bounce. So, all right. Well, this is clearly going to be an epic and awesome event. So let's roll on forward with this. Let's bring our guest host back. Dear friends, coming forward from an incredible, awesome, and and incredibly hip, I must say, uh, 20 minutes with, please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, Master Zigzag Claiborne. Zig, dude, first, I never get tired of saying your name. (laughs) And second, I cannot tell you how delighted I am at the prospect of sitting down with you and Brian and brainstorming a story, man. Thanks for coming back. Oh, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Now, now... Zig, obviously, I've, I've stalked you on the internet as I do all of our guest hosts, and, and that's kind of a baptism of fire. But I'm kind of curious. Uh, I, I know where you've been, but I'm not sure where you're going. And knowing you, you have a plan for, for literary domination. So would you regale our listeners for a few minutes? Let us know what's coming up in the world of Zigzag Claiborne. Well, after the Brothers Jetstream, which has already dropped, the next book I'm going to, and you know, this might get me in trouble with a few folks, but I'm going to go YA. Really? This, wow. I'm, it's, it's time for me to reach out and, and, and sully the minds of the youth of America. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. you know, what kind of uh, uh, YA, there's a lot of YA vibes out there to plug into. And knowing you, of course, you're going to define your own. So uh, what, 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 kind of, what kind of story are we talking about? Can you, can you share? This one is going to be an alternate reality story. But it's not one, like, well, like you said, I, you know, I got a zig when everybody else is zagging. This is not going to be an alternate reality story you've ever seen before. It's, it's called, matter of fact, it's called reality. And it's about a 12 year old girl who goes on adventures with other versions of herself. Dude, that sounds brilliant. From, and from you know, other realities? Other realities. Oh, man. That's cool. I See, that. and every writer out in the world is going, fuck, that's a brilliant idea. I wish I'd come up with that. <laughs> And don't well, think I won't published. punch every yeah. last one of you down. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, the bar is high. The bar is high. That sounds awesome, Zig. Now, 
before we you kind of blew past that whole brothers jet stream out in the market now this is coming up tell wax wraps out just for a little bit tell us what the brothers jet stream leviathan is about it is about the war between art and commerce which is something that is going on at all times and i wrote it thinking how in the hell can you do an adventure story about something so esoteric as the war between art and commerce and the way you do that is you throw a freaking psychic whale in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> throw a psychic whale in and everything becomes plausible. <laughs> Very cool. Well, and that's one thing I've noticed about your work, Zig, is that, you know, what, whatever, whatever trappings, whatever fabulosity, whatever speculative threads you weave through it, there's always something going on underneath that is, that is tickling deep, deep at the base of the soul. Is that, is that something you're, you're trying to make sure is always in your work? Always. Cause to me, I mean, that, that, that's the sweet spot of any kind of art for me. If, if you're not getting tickled in the nethers, then, you know, what's the point? <laughs> Roger that. Roger that. Now, do you do, uh, uh, conventions at all, Zig? I've started to. I mean, I'm very shy, which you probably don't get from this, but yeah, I'm a shy guy. I'm not one of those who puts himself out there, but I've been to a few conventions, met some amazing people, some amazing writers. I'll probably will be doing one here in Detroit in November. What's that called? Oh God, put me on the spot. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's something con, dude. He's got oh. a <laughs> the only reason I'm not sure of the name is that I'm, I'm not even positive I'll be able to do it for scheduling reasons. So I haven't actually, you know, dived too far into it. Let, let's use let's use that as the reason why you don't know them. It's not that you don't know; you just don't want to mention it because you that's might it. disappoint your fans. That's yeah. it, right there. You know, all three of them out there. <laughs> well, five. Now you got me in brain. Yeah, now you got. Five. Hey. <laughs> Anything else on the burner for you, Zig? I'm actually thinking of joining, and this is something that a guy I know on Facebook, Milton Davis, he's doing all kinds of work now, and he's going into animation. And okay. I'm thinking about doing an animation. Really? Yeah, I mean it's in the. Very, very beginning stages, but I've always loved animation, and I want to do something, again, I want to do something that I have not seen done before. Are we talking script, or are we talking uh, the full-on art and the whole thing? Full-on. Dude. (laughs) Full-on. I'm I'm of the mind, you know, go big or go home. Dude, well, I'm just going to keep following your feed, but friends, you know, check out Zig's uh, blog. Uh, what's What's the URL for your blog? Things I did at work today. Blogspot.com. That's the blog where I go and, and I just talk about whatever the hell comes up my mind. Right. And then the regular website is writeonwriteon.com. And that's write, which is W R I T E. And then write, R I G H T, writeonwriteon.com. So if you're looking for me online, every once in a while you'll find me there. That's right. And on Twitter at ZZ Claiborne, right? Twitter at ZZ Claiborne. Mm-hmm. You know, I. I'm there here and there and Facebook. You can find me. There's an author page for Zigzag Claiborne. Sweet. Sweet. Cause I, I never get tired of typing it. Very cool. <laughs> well, I'll make sure all that stuff gets up in the liner notes so people can stay tuned, plug in, make with the clicky click and, and connect with the zig. Now, Brian, you, it's been a while dude. And oh, and I know you've got you've got young Vikings that you're raising. That's I know right. that you're 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 shaping the minds of young thespians uh, uh, there in Colorado. What, what anything coming in all up? All kinds for you? of horrific ways. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that's that's where the darkness is going to come. It's going to come from Greeley. That's right. Uh, but uh, uh, do you have anything coming up that we need to know about? Uh, you know, I've got a. a 
another book that I've finished and it's in its final stages. And I'd like to say that um, you can anticipate it hitting something, whether it's <laughs> Amazon, um, you know, an agency or just the wall. Okay. By December. Sweet. Which probably gives me a little more time than I should let myself have. But so there's that. And then I, I've been working on some short stories that actually take place in the same world um, that the that the book does. That once the book is out, then I'll be releasing those short stories a little bit at a time. Um, and they kind of tell the the outlying stories of the people within this town. Um, Look at you with the multi-threaded storytelling. Dude. Right? And it's, it's cool because within the actual book, there are little references to some of these. And so as people pick up the short stories, they'll be able to go, oh, my God, that was when the character went and did this and, and so-and-so. And I was wondering about, you know, so it kind of I, I purposefully threw in not loose ends or, or threads that, that aren't uh, satisfied, but hints of things that, that then are, are fully realized within those short stories. So that that's very cool. cool. That's awesome. Well, now, and I'll, I'll give you this. I gave this to Paul Cooley on the Dead Robot Society, uh, but I'm going to give it to you, too. When you have those books out there and in the world, go back and edit the main book and put a hyperlink. Mm, in the main excellent. book to those yeah. other stories and you know if you want to find out what happened while bob went off and, and explored the haunted forest click here sure and and you know little cro idea. cross promotion hey, i'm an idea guy that's how I that's roll. right all right <laughs> very cool well i will i will toss that into the liner notes too because i know everybody would love to be hearing about that cool so but but gentlemen here's the deal uh, uh i want to pause for just a moment and give a little podcast airtime to to another fabulous podcast or a Kickstarter or some other awesomeness that's happening out there in the potosphere. And when I come back, Zig, Brian, I want to brainstorm a story with you. Are you down with that? I'm totally down with that. I am down. Sweet. We are all down, friends. <laughs> I hope you're down, too. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. I'm Joaquin Verne of the Freelance Hunters. Is your remote peasant village threatened by bandits? Is your home situated upon a ghastly portal to the nether realms? Want to destroy that cursed family heirloom, but don't have the time to trek hundreds of miles to toss it in that volcano yourself? Call the firm of Bywater, Proudfoot, and Vairn, freelance hunters. When the guards won't touch it, and the guild wants an arm and a leg, we can help. Monsters exterminated, Treasure recovered, bounties collected. Dragons, a specialty. That's The Freelance Hunters, a weekly heroic fantasy podcast. Listen free at thefreelancehunters.com or in iTunes. We're ready to believe you. Welcome back, ladies, knights, lords, and peasants of the round table. It's time to get into it and get some stuff done here. So, Dave... Who do we got? Uh, Brian, our guest writer lives in Limestone, Tennessee. He's a Tennessee boy like me, which Ew. is really yeah, baby. Uh, but he's on the he's on the far far east of the state, so so he's still in another time zone. We, I'm in, I'm in a very long fucking state, Brian. This state has two time <laughs> zones in it, and it's not even ashamed about that. That's just crazy shit well and you're but, still kind of a young Tennessean. Oh, I'm very young. I'm resisting the Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> the as whole vibe. much as I possibly can. By day, our guest writer works full-time for the Sherman Williams Paint Company, but by night, 
He stalks the city, cultivating his creative skill set, seeking that elusive path to becoming a paid artist. He started writing almost one year ago today and has maintained his writerly discipline ever since. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Gabriel Snell. Gabriel, dude... It is never easy. Brian and I have both been sitting in that very chair, and we know no matter how many times you may have done this, there's always a bit of terror here. And anybody that faces that terror is is a hero in my book. So, dude, thanks for making the time and for bringing a story. We appreciate it. Totally. No problem. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm pretty thrilled to to do this. Absolutely, absolutely. And just real quick, um, tell me tell me about this this creative career that you wish to pursue. Is that as a writer, or do you have you know design aspirations? Where where's your vision for the ideal job for you? Uh, probably more in the design, uh, creative design. I'm looking at attending the Dave School currently down in Florida in the Orlando and the Universal Studios. Did so, you just uh, did you just say the Dave School? <laughs> yep, it's the Dave School. Holy crap, I've got a school. Uh, <laughs> visual effects for movies or video game design, they offer a program for either one and that's that's where I'm hopefully going to be attending early next year. Dude, Sweet. I will that's awesome. I will wish you the best for that. And of course the Dave school is cool. <laughs> right? It has to be creative. Absolutely. <laughs> my life my life just changed. <laughs> All right, Gabriel, let's get into this, man. Uh, uh, you know the routine. We give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title, the genre, your intended audience. Give us the tagline. Uh, uh, any themes that you've teased out that you want to articulate. Uh, introduce us to the world. Introduce us to the characters. Give us some tent poles. Of story and we will dive in and just brainstorm your face off i'm i'm done i'm gonna get out of the way sir the mic is all yours all right let's do this the title is currently clockwork revolution uh the genre is steampunk and it'll be a full-length novel intended for an adult audience uh, my hook line is as a revolution ignites a bloody civil war Two young men from opposite sides of the conflict must find a way to overcome their differences and work together in order to keep their country from utterly destroying itself. The primary theme running through the story is the importance of being able to set aside your differences in order to work together with others toward a better future. Uh, the story takes place in a completely fictional world with two primary continents, a uh, northern continent of Fald and the southern continent of Ashkara. Bald is the main setting for most of the story, and it's broken up into several key locations, the first of which is a city-sized factory on the eastern half of the continent, which is home to the factory workers. Uh, these workers are basically slave labor for the noble ruling class, living and working in harsh and dangerous conditions. The second important location is the capital city. It's called Heimfeld. Heimfeld floats up in the sky above the factories and is home to all the nobles and the ruling council. Two other political fa factions important to the story also reside in Heimfeld. The Enforcers, who are essentially the military slash police force for the council, and the Guild of Assassins, which is a self-governed organization with the sole purpose of maintaining the balance of power. The last location in Fald that is integral to this story is the Outskirts. This is a massive junkyard where all the waste from the factories is deposited. 
The outskirts are home to a poor and destitute people, subject to the whims of rival gangs fighting over scraps for survival. The second major setting for the story is the southern continent of Ashkara. Ashkara is a barren desert continent, home mostly to nomads and wanderers. The only semblance of government lies in the capital city of Sumanatra, which is loosely controlled by a group of merchant princes. And these merchant princes are always in conflict with large groups of highly organized pirates and raiders. All right. I'll move on to the characters. There are two primary protagonists, the first of which is Osmond Blackwell. Osmond has worked in the factories for most of his life, and in a world where it's every man for himself, his greatest strength is his loyalty to his fellow workers. Uh, This trait has helped keep him alive, earning him enough friends to help get through some of the tougher times. Uh, His greatest fear is being stuck in the factories all of his life until he dies. Uh, He simply wants his freedom. As the story progresses, his very selfish desire of simply wanting his own freedom will transform into the desire to win the freedom of everyone stuck under the oppression of the council. The second primary protagonist is Siegfried von Aldenheimer. Siegfried is the son of one of the council members, Lord Bradford Aldenheimer, and thus heir to a life in politics. His greatest strength is his charismatic optimism. His greatest fear is having to follow in his father's footsteps. As the story progresses, he will learn how similar he is to those in the factories, and he will eventually join their cause. There are a couple secondary protagonists that I need to mention, uh, Malachi Hoban and Zalamir Shirah. Malachi and Zalamir were once the leaders of the large pirate force in the continent of Ashkara. They were betrayed by one of their own, captured, and sold to the council's enforcers, and then placed in prison. Malachi has since been put to work in the factories, but Zalamir remains locked up. The primary antagonist encountered throughout most of the story is Stratton Cromwell. He is the leader of the council's enforcers, and thus it's his job to hunt down and stop the protagonists as the revolution progresses. The other main antagonist is Corvin Vladimir. He is the pirate who sold out Malachi and Zalamir in order to gain control of the pirate fleets for himself. Corvin is from Fald, descending from a noble family that was framed and then condemned to death for political crimes. He escaped and has been plotting his revenge against the council ever since. The story begins with Osmond in the factories. What starts as a routine day quickly takes a turn when they are visited by a noble, Siegfried, for an inspection. As the inspection is wrapping up, they're attacked by one of the assassins. Siegfried assumes that the assassin has come for him, though he's not sure why, so he fights back. Siegfried, Osmond, and Malachi end up all working together to take the assassin out. After the fight, Siegfried removes the assassin's contract from his belt, only to find out he had come from Malachi. A bewildered Siegfried looks up just in time to get knocked unconscious by Malachi, and this is where the story really takes off. Back while he was in prison, before being placed as a worker in the factories, Malachi had learned of an underground resistance. His inquiries into the matter had obviously not gone unnoticed. Now the group takes Siegfried as a hostage and must escape the factories and make contact with this resistance. From there, they will then devise a rescue plan to get Zalamir out of prison. Malachi believes that he and Zalamir can return to Ashkara and rally their fellow pirates in order to provide help when the time comes to move against the council. During the time all our protagonists are working together to get Zalamir out of prison, Osmond and Siegfried will establish something of a friendship. They eventually come to understand and respect one another, how specifically I'm still working on. After the prison break, 
Malachi and Zalamir will need to have make their journey back to Ashkara. Once there, they'll come into conflict with Corbin, who has been slowly taking over Ashkara by hiring out pirates as mercenaries to the merchant princes. The pirate fleets will be divided, and there will be a big fight. The forces loyal to Malachi and Zalamir will barely make it out alive, but they aim to keep their word and return to help the resistance and fall. While Malachi and Zalamir are in Ashkara, our other protagonists will need to address the lack of an army. This will take them to the outskirts. The resistance thinks that they can unite the people of the outskirts to help fight against the council. Uh, during this time, events need to unfold that will place Osmond into a leadership role. Uh, eventually, he'll become the main leader of the resistance. While the resistance is uniting the people of the outskirts, Osmond will send Siegfried back to Heimfeld and the council. Once back in Heimfeld, Siegfried will begin playing dangerous political games to help throw the council off the scent of the resistance. This will ultimately put him into direct conflict with his father. Everything should culminate with an all-out war between the Resistance and the Council's enforcers. The war will end with the victory for the Resistance and a glimmer of hope for a united future because Osmond will be in charge of the revolutionaries and Siegfried in charge of the nobles. Together they can work to rebuild Fald as equals. The fight will still leave Fald weakened, however, and the epilogue will see Corvin execute the merchant princes in Ashkara with his implanted mercenaries taking full control of the capital city and all its resources. Once he learns of the events in Fald, he'll be driven by rage to destroy what is left of those who robbed him of his revenge against the council. Bam! Sweet. Nicely done, sir. Nicely done. Nice. All right. Let me let me ask you, what are you hoping to get out of the next uh, 45 minutes or so of, of intense brainstorming on this story? I am hoping to get Anything I can. Um, I've, I've done a few, uh, collaborative works before and there's just something about, uh, tackling story with other people and you never know what you'll come up with. And some of it's just great. I have no idea what you're talking about, Gabriel. I've <laughs> never encountered You've that never in my life. Never done that before. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I know, right? New never. territory for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you've come to the right place, brother. I think I, I can guarantee you. I heard Brian's engine kick in i think about the third or fourth sentence so so he's on board and i know zig's got some ideas and i know i do too so let's do this but before we roll into it we, we need to cover our ass brian right. do you yes. remember do you remember the disclaimer oh, yes. oh yes yes would, this is my favorite part <laughs> would you be so kind sir Absolutely. So to our, our writerly gentlemen, we know that this is your baby. We know that you've been thinking about this and obviously working out a lot of the details for a long time. So in the course of offering it up for sacrifice to myself and Dave <laughs> and Zig, uh, we're going to come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. Some of it really amazing. Dave is going to throw a whole bunch of world building at you. <laughs> I'm going to throw a whole bunch of, of antagonist stuff at you. And you are under absolutely zero obligation to take anything that we have to say because a lot of it very likely will be complete and total bullshit. Are you down with that, bud? I'm down. <laughs> All right. We're, we're off the hook, man. All right. Let's get into this. We usually start with a quick once around the table where we can ask some questions of clarification and get some first impressions of, of things that jumped out at us, uh, positive, negative, whatever. Um, and... As always is our custom, we will start with our guest host. So, Zigzag Claiborne, what are your first impressions of Gabriel's story, and do you have any questions to help clarify some uh, fuzzy areas for you? First impression is 
okay, you said it's steampunk, and I was waiting for the steam to come out of it. What what mm-hmm. what specifically makes this steampunk? Pretty much all of the technology and um, the world is is very loosely based on industrial revolution, Victorian era. So all the technology, I mean, it's steam powered. It's so I guess the primary answer is the technology. Um, everything in the world that they use, it's all based in the Industrial Revolution with fantastical elements. Okay, because we got the floating city, so. Yeah, airships, a a lot of floating steam. cities, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was your inspiration the Tale of Two Cities for this? It was not. <laughs> My inspiration was probably a collaboration of video games more than anything. Um, <laughs> Bioshock Infinite Dishonored um, and a few different movies also inspired, but I'd say primarily those two video games. See, I was going to go Dr. Zhivago, Zig, so, you oh, know. <laughs> You're showing your age there. You had to right. there, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions or observations, Zig, for this, just this first round? You know, I, my, my initial impression is I like the scope, I like the, the sense of adventure that is clearly going to be in here, but and again, this is just me. I'm, I'm looking for what else are you giving us with this story? You know, this is all we're two books in because you, you already got it set up for a sequel. By the time we get to the end of the first, why am I going to the second one? Yeah. That'll be something that I'm still kind of working on. Um, but hopefully because you've grown attached to these characters and you want to see what happens next. Um, so it's going to have to be a, a character driven thing going into the second book. Here we oh, go. Um, I got to really dive into these characters' heads in the first book, and and hopefully, you know, make everybody love them and want to follow them into the second book and see what's going to happen. And I think that's definitely something that we can rock on this brainstorm too. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Anything else, Zig? Nope, I'm good for now. All right, Brian, over to you. First impressions and questions of clarification. All right. So my first impression is this is this thing is huge. Yes. And <clears throat> there's definitely you're you're already talking about having two protagonists and that's always a really hard thing to do if you haven't decided which one your audience is going to be rooting for the most um you know we can when we look at star wars and we've got um luke skywalker and han solo and leia and you could call each of them a protagonist but which is the one that everything kind of hinges on and have you figured that out have you figured out which one of them me as a reader you want to guide me toward in the end, I think that'll ultimately be Osmond because he'll be the one we're we're really following from, you know, day one all the way through to the end. Um, okay. But Siegfried's going to play a huge part. I kind of wanted just this brotherhood, you know, Definitely. best friends to develop over the course of the course of the story, and you know, they complete each other in a way. Sure. It's a buddy movie. Yeah. yeah well, it's it's funny because I the. What I started kind of thinking about as you were going through this, um, when we talk about first impressions, is kind of a of a Gimli, um, ooh, Legolas, uh, Legolas, yeah. you know. But but in order to do that, then this kind of leads into my second question: how do, how do these two characters feel about this war, um, and feel about their two sides initially? And because I, what I'm afraid of is it almost sounds like. Um, Siegfried, is, is Siegfried is the one who is from the, the council, um, mm-hmm. right? And 
it almost feels like he just way too fast he switches over or or is sympathetic to the other side and i almost think that if he's raised in that that he would start off with a lot more prejudices and then over the course of the story maybe can come to be brotherly with the other character so that you have that conflict going on between the two of them and them questioning their own sides as they develop this friendship. Yeah, sense? that's a, that's exactly right. Cause I don't want to do that too fast. I, I want this to be a thing where they're, they kind of hate each other initially, Good. Okay. Um, but through the conflict, they start to see that they're, they're actually very similar. Um, and they come to understand now, I haven't made it that far in the in the actual writing yet, so I don't good. have a specific event. <laughs> good, because yeah. we're going to change all all the stuff you were going to do. You ain't going to do that no more. <laughs> Anything else, Bri? No, those are those are my first thoughts, so t- take it away, Dave. All right. Um, I, I got to uh, echo uh, the sentiment. The scope of this is huge and epic, and I love that. Uh, uh, I, I especially love the ending. Uh, uh, where, you know, we spent this whole, uh, uh, book, uh, actually I'm going to counsel you. This is not what you just described to us. Gabriel is not one book. I'm just going to tell you that right now. <laughs> just accept that you cannot put this unless you want something that it will kill velociraptors when you hurl it at them. <laughs> this is not one book, but I love the way at that, that crisis ending is that we spent the whole book loving fall and falling in love with it. At least I hope we do. And that's going to be one of the biggest points I want to touch on as we move forward. But then there's peril. It's everything that we fought for is going to be lost. I mean, really, that's a fabulous setup for book four, I think, maybe, mm-hmm. possibly book three. I don't know. Um, but be that as it may, I love that. And I, I love the framework. I'm, I'm kind of with Zig. I'm not hearing the steampunk of it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing floating cities. I'm hearing skyships. Um but there's, I'm not feeling the steam aspect of it. And that might just be, you know, and I don't know if there is a steampunk story. Uh, we already talked in the last 20 minutes with about, about the death of genre. So maybe it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> maybe it's just a steampunk-esque. Esque. There you go. All right. A couple of specific questions. Um, you mentioned this League of Assassins. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they appear in the beginning. And then they're never seen again. Do you have plans for them in this story at all? I do. Okay. Um, as everything starts to play out, they're they're probably going to come to play heavier in the second book. I have some plans in the back of my mind, um, but I think they're they're going to kind of stand back and be like, well, maybe it's time for a power shift across the continent. They they want to see what happens. Okay. Um. I see, it, and I'm just going to put this out there, and maybe we can talk about it a little bit. I don't know, but so you've got these powerful elders, this this council of awesomeness. These guys have all the money, all the power, all this stuff. I cannot see in my mind why, in God's green earth, they would allow a league of self governed assassins to pick them off if one of them gets more powerful or or starts throwing things out of balance. That that strikes me as. Uh, you would need to really enforce the the cultural importance of that uh, uh, to to allow somebody in power to allow an organization that can slit their throat at a whim and with no input from them. That that strikes me as a really it's cool, 
but I, I, I think we need to back it up a little it's bit. A, it's a dark Jedi council. I can see that, but even the Jedi. Yeah. Okay, okay. Sort I can, of. The, sort it's of. very, it's very, ba- it's almost, almost respected as a religion. Like from the early, like this is back in my notes. It, I okay. won't address it directly like this in the in the book, but they they revere the assassins. They always always have. So, so your your allegory of the of the Jedi Council, Brian, is is very apt for this. Okay, <laughs> it is it is religion. It's a religion. Okay, I can I can dig with that. Okay, I do have one question on the assassins. Yeah. Why is he carrying a work order with him? Um, it's not really a work order. It's kind of an odd. They don't usually. They aren't usually sent to assassinate people who aren't noble. So he was given a target, and my workers are actually identified by a tattoo, and they just have simply the person's initials, a worker number, and the symbol of the house that they belong to, and that's all that's in the message. Um, but Siegfried knows how to. You know, he knows what that means. We we can talk about that. There's there's a couple of there's a couple of I think maybe some forced bits that we can smooth out a little bit in that opening scene. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good question, Zig. Uh, uh, I, I got I kind of got a, a feel of a very convenient plot point uh, in that that we can probably make a little more difficult or a little clearer. Yeah, yeah make the reader work <laughs> for it, man. That's right. That's right. They want to sweat. Um, Osmond, uh, you said that ultimately he wants freedom. Mm-hmm. Why? To do what? To he just he wants to make his own decisions. He wants to to do what? I guess just to lead his own life without being told what does, to do. Does when he to want wake to be? Up. Does he want to be a farmer? Does he want to be a craftsman? Does he want to be a lord? What wanting to be free? I mean, I get that, but uh-huh. it's very weak and okay. it's very uh, squishy. It's not something that you can you know you can point to. I need to take these chains off, but then you're you got nothing. Okay, I got the chains off. I'm free. Uh, and this, this is one of those hard questions that you may not have an answer for tonight. Right. Yes, exactly. That's that's something I would put out there. The other uh, character point you brought out, which I thought was intriguing, was that Siegfried is afraid of following in his father's footsteps. Why? His father, he he's very cold, calculating just the politics of his life, and Siegfried has a bit more of his mother in him. He's a free spirit. He wants to experiment. He's fascinated by technology and uh, a guild of engineers, which exists. It's part of the political scheme of things, but he, he just, he doesn't want to be his father. He doesn't, doesn't interest him. We can probably firm that up a little bit too, as as we move forward. I guess that's all I got for this initial round. So, all right, let's, let's, let's dive into the brainstorm proper here. Uh, Zig, where do you want to start, man? What, what do you want to dig into and, and start exploring and nailing down some, some specifics? You know, I want to start at the most basic with the characters. Cause as I'm looking at this, this is very testosterone heavy. <laughs> you I'm noticed not, that, did you? I'm, there, there you jumped no... right out. I mean, it's like I'm getting, I'm getting these dudes left and right. Where, where the ladies at? Yeah, and, that's and why they, we brought you here, man. And, and they all seem kind of white, don't they? Well, you know, when, when you break out Siegfried Vaughn, that's like... <laughs> <laughs> except for Malachi and Zalamir, they are not white. Okay, right. all right, specifically, cool. yeah. But yeah, there is definitely a dude-heavy uh, uh, yeah. cast list going on here. So, so what do we do about that, Zig? You know, you know, are you Gabriel? Are you up for some on-the-spot gender flipping? I'd be up for it. Let's let's gender flip the hell out of it, just for the just for fun. I mean, there's no reason that 
Osman couldn't be a woman. Or Siegfried. Or Siegfried. You know, you, you would create a little bit more tension. I mean, not, not the romantic tension because people are tired of that, but there could be a little bit of a little sexual tension between them. Maybe that could be a reason why one of the Siegfried doesn't want to follow his father. So you got to give him a, a motivation. Maybe he's in love, you know, and being, his, being like his father would mean he would turn into a dick and he knows that, you know, nobody wants him. So that's, a, that's an option. You know, you mm-hmm. can, you can make, you make your main, make Osmond a woman who's, a, you know, still a freedom fighter can do everything that, that you already have him doing, but it's her doing it instead. I like that. Totally and, open to that. Yeah. And, and I can actually, I can, I can see, you know, the, just the dynamic of, um, having Siegfried be a woman, because at least at the start of the book, uh, uh Siegfried is, has the power. Mm-hmm. And by by placing a woman in that position, I think you could get some interesting dynamics uh, uh, with Osmond being one of the slave, the lower caste, the servant, uh, uh, and and work that's that aspect of that as well. Also, either Malachi and uh, Zalamir, neither of those are specifically male characters either, uh, uh, and and either or both could be female. Right. So yeah. So the whole Siegfried being a female thing, there's one thing that I really think would be very cool about that, and that, and in that sense, it would be rather than Siegfried uh, not wanting to turn into his father, it could be her not wanting to turn into her mother, and you could make the council almost kind of matriarchal. Ooh, nice. Of a, of a matriarchal ruling class, which could be kind of cool. The the um, caution that I have is as soon as you make Siegfried a woman then all of a sudden you have you're playing on the stereotypical um weakness weak-mindedness of a woman because Siegfried is the one who changes whereas Osmond is the one that we're following and we're going oh yeah he's strong and he's leading and and that's our main character and then all of a sudden Siegfried comes along and Siegfried has to change in order to see things the way that Osmond does unless and- yeah. Unless Siegfried is on the outs with her mother because she wants to change the council. Yeah. Um, unless she's already a revolutionary. Yeah. And it, it's it's good. It's delicate. And you have to be careful how you do it just because and this this kind of goes to and I may be totally wrong on this. And so Zig totally correct me if I'm wrong, because this is this goes back to what we were talking about in those 20 minutes with with when I was talking about the fear of of changing characters for the wrong reason where if she, if, if we play her that way, then we don't want to play her as sort of the stereotypical naive, um, liberal over the top woman. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so it's just, it, I, I, I really like the idea and I think that you could do this cool matriarchal power play thing, but there are some cautions that come with that for me at least. For sure. You know, I was going to say, I, I like that dynamic, but I would even keep it at where she doesn't want to follow her father's footsteps. That, that throws a whole different wrinkle into it. Ah, uh, yeah, I like that too. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I, that right there will speak, will speak to the us right now. I mean, that's why, you know, Mad Max was so successful is that it's speaking to the craziness that's happening right now. So you could totally do that, man. You could have, you know, Siegfried is, does not want to be her dad. She sees that he's an idiot. She is, secretly gaining power because like I said, she's smart enough to see the writing on the wall. She knows eventually she's going to have to step into his footsteps. So while she's young, whatever she's getting her power base going, you work it like that. You eliminate the whole notion of, you know, this is the weak liberal woman and 
she has to change. No, she's not. She's not changing. She's already set as a character. Sure. Well, feel me on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and if if the female Siegfried is is working for council reform, violently, vehemently, passionately, uh, uh, working because she knows the system is broken. Her solution is, you know, X, Y, Z. I don't know what. Um, uh, and Osmond is just, oh, we gotta, we gotta pull that floating city down and and rule ourselves, blah. And and that's you know what the revolution is going for. And they're both the the only possible solution is if they both compromise and find the seeds of virtue in both ideas. Yes, we need a revolution, but no, the council doesn't have to be destroyed. Yes, we need reform, but we also need to liberate the workers. If right. if they're both revolutionaries, and at, initially they're both at odds, but they can find that middle ground, that makes the coming together and the, the outcome of that union that much stronger. Exactly. What, if, what if you take it a step further, and rather than she's fighting for reform or, or looking for reform, she's looking to overthrow them, and she's smarter than... Ooh. And that's yeah. part of why there's that tension is he's wanting her to follow in his footsteps and maybe he's into some bad politics and she's going, no, I can do this totally better than you can. And I have people behind me and I'm going to take over almost as a dictatorship. But through the course of working with Osmond changes her reason, not not doesn't change her desire to take over, but why she's doing it and right. sees it. Now more as a as a, a moral imperative as opposed to a um, a power throw. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Now let me let me throw a wrinkle in here. As you were talking, Brian, I'm going, oh crap. <laughs> what if she's one of the assassins? Ooh, that was going to be. You know, I was thinking that because yeah. if she <laughs> is in such a position to to get this power base going, I'm thinking that, not that she's an assassin, but she's got to have her hand pretty deep into the assassins' guild. Yes. Absolutely. And that, and that explains why she thinks the assassin is after her when he shows up. They, 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 they've decided she realizes, oh, crap, I've overstepped my bounds. They're just going to take me out. And, and, and just a real quick on that opening scene, Gabriel, we don't need we don't need a, a, a marker that says Malachi was the target uh, because during the fight, the assassin is attacking Malachi. Malachi is clearly the target, which is going to befuddle everybody. And 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 make everybody go. But why why were you the? I thought I was the asset. Oh, screw you! Bam, and and knocks her out and and takes her hostage. Blah blah blah. Um, the other thought that I had was instead of Malachi knocking her out, have Osman knock her out. Knock her out. Have him be in on the revolution from the beginning. Mm-hmm. He doesn't we, know it exists in the beginning. Yeah, he does. Well, he what if he caught it? What if he did? Uh huh. What if he's already a member of the revolution? And realizes that the assassin going after Malachi uh, indicates that the jig is up and our hand is forced. We got to get out of here. We got to take this uh, this noble as hostage, get Zalamir out so we can and get the frick out of the city because we're in trouble. That way, that way you have Osmond with agency. He's got yeah. something to do, something to something to achieve right off the bat. He doesn't have to discover it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I'd say make him a part of the revolution right up front. Or rather than have him be a part of it, he knows about it and he's pivotal to it, but he hasn't agreed to join. He hasn't agreed to. He's got somebody who's consistently trying to pull him in and he's saying, no, no, no. And then this forces him into it. And so from this point forward, he has to. 
Yeah. Or, you know and, what I'm saying? Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe Gabriel takes a, a pull. Gabriel, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've already cast Here, you in your own book, Gabriel. Uh, maybe Siegfried uh, uh, pulls a gun on Malachi and, and realizing that he's the target is going to take him prisoner, which would make sense. Why was the assassin after you? Come with me. I'm going to interrogate you. And Osmond is then forced to make that decision right then and there and cold cocks uh, Siegfried in order to preserve the revolution. There's a motivation for you. Yeah, all solid ideas. That's good. Because Osmond, if Osmond starts off, I like it with with him already in as part of the re- the resistance. Because if he starts off that way, he's already a strong character. He has his own motivation. He's got a plan. You want to avoid the the trap of having to set up your characters because in this kind of book, people know. You know, you, when you go into it, you know somebody is a journey of discovery. So you can kind of shorthand that, make him already as you know, with that agency, have him move forward. And if he changes a little bit along the way, as far as, you know, okay, I thought that this revolution was what I wanted. It's not quite that. And like Dave was saying, even with Siegfried, same thing, you know, just because somebody's a revolutionary doesn't make them right. Mm-hmm. You can have those two kind of tangle with that issue and then come out on a middle ground. And, and we, we need to have, uh, Siegfried spends a lot of time chained up. I mean, from, from scene one, cold cocked, tied up, and dragged along for what I can only assume to be about at least half the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we need, I, I, think, I think we need to give her, him, whatever, a little more, a little more skin in the game. Mm-hmm. In order to make the the audience, make the reader engage with him or her uh, uh, more intimately, I guess. Now, I don't know what that is. Having said that, I've offered a problem and I don't have a solution. Uh, uh, so I'll, I'll turn it to my esteemed colleagues. Is there anything that we can do with Siegfried after she's been captured that would get her out of the handcuffs uh, uh, and maybe being swept along with events in a in a believable way. I I see Siegfried would have to be a very adept mental manipulator. I mean, just yes. from growing up from where she is, so she's got to get in their heads and just basically mess up every one of them along the way and get her freedom. And I can see her doing that mm-hmm. if she or he is a part of the assassins' dark Jedi council. <laughs> um, there would be more assassins coming for her or to rescue her or him or whoever it is. Yeah. And that could be a, a way for him, her to gain the trust of the others is by warning them and consistently moving them out of danger. So, um, yeah, like that. you know, and, but, but also with that, with that equivocator, mentality where it's I'm I'm doing this to buy your favor but I'm also watching you and learning your moves and doing things so that when I need to I can escape and I can go back and we can crush you yeah you know I, I like that and and I like the idea of the assassins I mean the assassins are obviously aware of the revolution they targeted Malachi mm-hmm. so if that attempt fails and malachi is still at large and now we have a councilwoman uh uh in their clutches yeah you bet they're gonna pull out all the stops and probably kill her too because she mm-hmm. who knows what she said 
uh, she she's now a, a, a liability to the council and to the Assassin's Guild. Yeah. So so she's kind of on the run too. I, yeah. I want to throw this at you, Gabriel. The Assassins. They. I mean, it, the way this is set up, the Assassins are really the power in the story because everybody pretty much defers to them. They know. What if they are the group that everybody has to take out? I mean, you can make this an all-out, you know, battle royale where as it comes together, you've got the council realizing the assassins are the ones who are calling the shots and you've got the resistance realizing the same thing. So you get all these things coming to a head. You know, she's part of the assassins guild. Do they trust her? Blah, blah, blah. What do you think of this? I like an interesting idea. I like that because that sets up this interesting parallel between the relationship between the council and the slave workers and the assassins in the council. The the council is pretty much a slave organization to the assassins. So we've yeah. got this kind of dual liberation going on. You See, can play with this on so many levels, man. Oh man, <laughs> absolutely. Now, if, before we go any further, I want to turn the mic over to Brian because I know Brian has some questions about the antagonist. Oh my god, <laughs> get right. in it, boy. Um, well, it's funny because I, I'm, I'm caught up in a lot of this other stuff, and so the 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 main antagonist that kind of gets my uh, my hackles up in a good way um, is Corvin. <laughs> Who is your primary antagonist, right? For the most part, no, he's not. It's 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 this guy uh, Stratton Cromwell, who we haven't Who's heard the council's from. enforcers, right? Right. Yeah. So, the, and and what's the what's the difference between the council's enforcers and the assassins guild? Is it just that the council enforcers take orders directly from the council, and the assassins guild kind of only does whatever they want? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's look at Stratton, and what is it predominantly that he wants? Out of this Stratton, whole thing, other than just taking orders and doing what he's told. Stratton's kind of a, uh, he's of noble, of a noble family, but he is a psychopath and yet he's extremely efficient at his job. Um, he's the one who captured Malachi and Zalamir who were giving Falden vessels a lot of trouble overseas. Right. Um, and he's got kind of a dark past that the council overlooks because he's so efficient. Does he, uh, okay. does he and his, beat his, children? His, what was his dark past? Um, the way I've designed him, he loves the high arts, but he has no talent for them. So he combines his love for the high arts with his talent for violence. He's known for uh, torturing people um, for fun, but he tries to make music out of their their screams. Uh, you know, he, he tries to make okay, that's creepy. And, yeah, he's, he's kind of a real creepy psychopath. But he's in a really powerful position, and the council values him. What does he want? Well, yeah, and that's I think that's the main thing is that uh-huh. this is the really really cool character who does these really. Uh, when I say cool, that's like morbid. Right? So, <laughs> the, the more morbid and the yeah. more bones that he's crunching on, this goes to a story that is off the air. But um, <laughs> the the more of that that's going on, the cooler it is for me. But all in all. If all that he's doing is taking orders and he doesn't have his own plan going on of of something that he's going to achieve or something that he's working toward while he's doing the council's bidding in his own evil and psychotic way, then he doesn't have any agency either. So he's got to be working toward a very specific goal that while he's putting barriers in the way of our protagonists, the protagonists have to keep him from achieving that as well. Do you, Have you determined what that is? Not for sure. However, he and Corvin are in close 
cahoot service. I was just going to um, say. Because Corvin is the one who sold Zalamir and Malachi out to him. They're kind of uh, birds of a feather, so to speak. Okay. So he's he's essentially wanting to help Corvin take over. How does he feel about the council? Is he Would he be perfectly happy if the council was completely dissolved? Yeah, he enjoys suffering, so he doesn't really care who suffers. Okay. I wonder. I wonder if Stratton Stratton is, it? Stratton is uh, uh, the 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 priest of the assassins. I wonder if he's like unbeknownst to, or or maybe you know. I would assume that there needs to be some sort of presence uh, uh, of the assassins, at least one individual that can be pointed to. What to, if he's been banished by the assassins and is working for the council? How does and that work? Well, because the the assassins and and the the council enforcers are two completely separate entities, right. and so the the assassins are kind of feared and revered by the council. If he had been one of the assassins and had been banished by them because of the means with which he maintained balance, because he is okay. he enjoys all of the torturous things and whatever, then he has a a a, a, a v- stigma vitriol toward. Yeah. The assassins, and he also doesn't like taking orders from the group that used to fear him. Sure, and that puts him in a place where now he he has two acts of vengeance that he feels he needs to visit in order to make himself complete again. And the only way that he can achieve that is by obliterating both forces, right? And and basically uh, being the guy. Yeah, Zig, why wh- banish him? Why not just kill him? Ooh, good question. Right. Um, He's the son of the priest. But then we get into a lot of kids of yeah within this. Uh, boy, that's a good question. I don't know. We'll have to <laughs> we'll address that another. Zig, what are you thinking about the antagonist? You, you've written some pretty scurvy uh, 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 dark siders in your time. Uh, what's what's your take on Stratton Cromwell? You know, I caution against doing the 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 whole you know I'm I'm a torturer kind of thing because. It's the morning. It's been done. I'm gonna d- d- just put that out there, Gabriel. That mm-hmm. that is something that, and then I know you have a you you have a visual mind, and you did say you had you know some inspirations from some video games, which that works in games because you know when you when you're playing a game that you have a different expectation. In a story, though, if we see the character who is you know he, he's in a position of authority, and yet he's openly known to be this weird, crazy fuck. That kind of throws things off because I mean even even Dick Cheney doesn't go out and put out his stuff on on the you know, internet. <laughs> so if this guy is doing all this weirdness, somebody knows about it and then they're, they're going to put a cap on that. So if you do that, he's either got to do it in secret or you tone it down a little bit. Make it kind of like Dexter. Something like okay. something along those lines. You know, you can't just have him, you know, I'm I'm torturing people and making music. That's that's a little bit over the top for this guy. He needs to be a little bit more subtle. All right. What if he's the guy that they go to because everybody else has, uh, uh, you know, everyone else's moral imperative is is higher than his, and so it's kind of like you know, twenty four, where you've got Jack Bauer who walks into the room to interrogate somebody and shoots him in the chest and is like, you're going to die in the next minute if you don't tell me, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like he's specific that way. And so that's his specific skill is there are some people that just need to be dealt with in a certain way. And that's when he comes in. 
But and so in this, that way, he's valuable to them. But they but also you've got kind this of society fear. set up where you you've already set up where you've got you know the people the cloud minders, and then you got the slaves below. They don't give a flying flip what happens to those guys. They're, they're mm-hmm. not very, that morally constrained. So what if he's not dealing with those people? What if he's dealing with people up in the sky area? Because that's that's another thing that that I'm I'm a little bit afraid of when I look at this is what I saw with um oh god what the hell was the name of that movie? Um, Matt Damon was in it. Oh, and he's, Matt Damon, uh, something. What the hell was Talented that? Talented Mr. Ripley? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Elysium. Yeah, Elysium. Yeah. And, and the, the biggest issue that I had with that is, and, and I saw somebody in an article said this, where everybody who lives in, in that sky world, and that's why I'm drawing this comparison is, is there's a similarity here. Um, but everybody's who, who, who is up in that sky world has no problem with the fact that they live so high above everybody else. And, you know, in, in our society, you have people who are in positions of power who have a problem with the fact that there are people who are not. And, so you would have people up there who are, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's not hive mind. It's indiv- everyone's an individual. And so you're going to have people up there who are fighting for the rights of the people below. And so maybe that's who he's dealing with. You know, it's not that he's coming down and dealing with the people that nobody cares about. It's that he's brought in to, to deal with the people within their own society. You know, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Cause that, that gives a diversity. I mean, one of one of the things that I've been kind of railing against in the story is there's this very sharp division between all the people in the factory are slaves and oppressed, and everybody up here is is all hoity-toity and we don't care. And life doesn't work that way. There are people down there in the factory that like their life. It ain't great, but you know I've become a foreman in, in among the slaves. I have power over other slaves. I'm still a slave, but at least I have power. Right. You know, and maybe, maybe Osmond has that, you know, maybe Osmond is a foreman. Maybe Osmond and Siegfried, uh, uh, have history because Siegfried is in charge of this particular block of the factory and always is dealing with Osmond, who is a good foreman because, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We're, we're redrawing that. But what I was what I was saying was was I like the idea of the people above not being all yes, the people below are scum, uh, and have there be voices that speak about that, and have Stratton be the hardline old school. No, we are going to crush them. That's what we do. Right. Yeah. That, for sure. That type and of maybe thing. that's that's why he was banished from. If you go with the banished thing from, because then he's he he's not maintaining balance. He's he's not facilitating a discussion or an evolution of the culture. Uh, and, and, and I can see the assassins being a, a, a kind of a very cool. They could be a very cool organization that has an agenda. Maybe they're like the Bene Gesserit. Yeah. You know, they are pulling all the strings and nobody really knows that. Right. Know. Right. And even to, even to the point of, you know, your daughter should marry this son mm-hmm. uh, and, and so on and so forth. You know, God, maybe the assassins started the revolution. And does anybody know, like it, you could do a whole um, structured uh, hierarchy Illuminati thing where the people who are in the assassins only know the people on their level. They don't know any of the people that are above them. Nobody in the society knows who is an assassin and who isn't. Right. Mm. You know, 
It's it's not necessarily the the quote unquote secret society, but it's something that that there are whispers that it still exists, but nobody knows who. I can until see that somebody suddenly dies and they have this mark on them or something. Right. Oh, I like that. Make every you know everybody is potentially an assassin from all all the world, council to the factories. You don't know who Ooh. could be. In. That's that's yeah. what if you're going to have an assassin's guild, that's how they're going to operate. They're going to be top and bottom. Yeah. Yeah, people in the Assassin's Guild that are from the factory and that are from the the outskirts as well. That's insidious. Because if you have to maintain balance, you have to have people from all of the different... Yeah. Oh, I love that. That (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Gabriel, have you ever... You know, when uh, Dave mentioned the Bene Gesserit, have you ever watched the original Star Trek episode called The Cloudminders? I haven't. Dude, get thee to YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) That episode, I, it, I mean, it has a lot of elements of your story. I mean, it's got a, it's a city in the clouds. There's a revolution. And it's not so much I want you to see this so that you can, you know, oh, I'm going to take that idea from it. But watch it so that you see the the, the dynamics that play in it. it. It's a very good episode. Okay. And it's called The and, Cloud Minders. And also don't do that thing where you watch it and go, ah, oh, shit, they did what I wanted to do, so now I can't. Right. Don't do that. Because you're going to do it differently. So Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Every Absolutely. story out there, brother, has been done a billion times. Your job yeah. is to do it a billion and one. That's <laughs> right. And, and in only the way that you can. Yes. Absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the clock kind of uh, uh, trickle down here. I want to kind of move us into this, this final stage. Clearly, Gabriel, we have a big story here. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, we've drilled in on, on a few key points. Uh, uh, and I don't think, you know, I don't think two episodes would be enough to to literally attack all of the things that you have going on. Um, but hopefully you got some stuff out of this that that will help refine some of your character work and your 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 cultural environment uh, uh, and definitely do gender flips and people. Um, but but, uh, but let's 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 take this into that final stage of the workshop. Let's take one last turn around the table. Uh, uh, and give give some final thoughts. Give give some some strategies, some ideas that maybe you didn't get a chance to toss out during the workshop, and and fill fill Gabriel's pockets full of literary gold, uh, so he can go off and, and and write this magnum opus of a tale. Zig, we'll start with you, sir. Final thoughts for Gabriel. Gabriel, I would suggest as you're going through this, make sure that you multi layer pretty much every damn thing. It's like you know, w- with the differences. When you're talking about how they eventually come to realize that, you know, they're they're more alike than different. Uh-huh. Explore that. Explore that that difference as you're going along and show how most of the time differences are artificial in the first place. So that that, that gives the whole story an additional depth. But by the end, the reader is like, oh, hell yeah. You know, I want more of this now. That's nice. You start with this big polarity. And as the story progresses, you you come to integration. That's beautiful. I like that. Brian, what about you, sir? Um, well, I, you know, as Dave points out, and and rightly so, I am very antagonist heavy, and so one of the things that I I really want to see from your antagonists are some um, qualities that make us as readers question how we feel about what it is that they're doing um, to the point where we start to go, you know what? I don't really like the way that this guy is going about this, but I kind of agree. Mm-hmm. with what he's doing or what she's doing just to give that character some more dynamic 
aspect, you know, so that it's not just your tried and true evil psychopathic character that we automatically point at and go, oh, that's the bad guy. Because right. um, there has to be that point where we go, that's the bad guy, but God damn it, I, I think I agree <laughs> yeah. with what they're doing. And that makes me uncomfortable. And that's what you want to get to. You want to get to that point where we get uncomfortable because we don't really know if we're rooting for the good guy or the bad guy. Yeah. Totally. Yep. I like that. And, and really th- what you just said, Brian, kind of dovetails nicely into what I wanted to say, uh, uh, is, is the notion of, uh, there's a, there's a lot of, of, I don't want to say cliches or tropes in play here. Uh, uh, but we've got, you know, we've got the slaves and the cloud people and the, the carefree pirates, uh, off, off pillaging off in the distance over there. Um, and, and, you know, to pick up on what Zig said and also what Brian was saying to weave those stories together, uh, uh, and, and, and give the stakes, the things that these people want, what they want is so important and have it ultimately, you know, initially appear to be radically different, but ultimately, you know, when you play that why game and you dig down to the heart of things, you find that truth and it takes people a while to do that sometimes. And so the truth that Osmond has, that Siegfried has, even that Stratton has uh, or whoever your, your antagonist ends up being, uh, that initial truth uh, is can sometimes be wrong. And part of that character's arc and transformation is the discovery that, oh, crap, this isn't what I wanted at all. Uh, the the truth is I want to see this and that can be a a fabulous crisis point and what makes Stratton or your antagonist a villain is the time when they come to that confrontation and can't change they can't evolve and by being tested against that hard rock of truth they break and that's when they become the person that you can't get behind any longer Uh, so you know having Stratton being somebody who is all about the status quo. This is this is the way it is. This is the way it's been. This is I'm fighting for this, and I will not brook anything that disrupts it. You know, and and you know, give him a history with the council and with the city that that proves and has demonstrated time and again his loyalty, his truth, his his utter adoration of the system for what it is. Give him a reason to love what it is. And then take that reason away and then break him for it. So one of, one of my favorite quotes is adversity introduces a man to himself. And I think that's exactly what Dave is talking about in that moment where there the character is suddenly faced with everything that they believe in being taken away. And then how do they respond? What do they do? Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't have said that five minutes ago while I was rambling along. <laughs> I like to wrap things up at the end. Yeah. You do. That was a tight, tidy little bow. I like that. <laughs> Gabriel, dude, this has been awesome. There's been some good story work going on here. Some discoveries, I think, about storytelling in general for, for all of us and for our listeners and hopefully for you as well. Uh, uh, dude, thank you so much. We really appreciate you stepping up and giving us a, a rich story feast for the episode. Thank you for having me. Each one of you gave me some really great ideas. Ha, sweet. Now, here's the deal, Gabriel. You go out, you write this bad boy, and and don't worry if it spills over into two or three books. Just let that happen. Uh, uh, but you put out at least book one. Get it out there. 
and and you put it out as a PDF, as as you know, self pub, trad pub. We don't care if it's in the world in people's heads. You come back, you let us know, and and I promise I will drag Brian out of the rehearsal studio. <laughs> I, I will I will make time for that, and we will knight you, sir. We will make you a knight of the round table That's podcast. Right. You down <laughs> with that? Great. Awesome. That great. sounds great. First part's already being edited, so Good. sweet. Oh, it's gonna happen. Take it home, awesome. brother. Take it home. Zigzag Claiborne, dude. This has been a, a, a dream come true for me on many levels, uh, uh, but specifically in this episode. Thank you so much for bringing your wisdom, your experience, and that very unique zigzag vision that uh, I think we could all do with a little bit of in our lives. We appreciate it, man. Oh, brother, thank you very, very much. I'm, I'm so glad to have been here. This was just too cool for a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's saying something because it is Friday night when we're recording this. And to be cooler than Friday, who, who could ask for anything more? Oh, it is. It is totally the tops. And dear friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, a huge heaping helping of it goes right into your laps because, you know, as cool as it is for us to be, you know, yammering here on the Skype line, if we put this out there to share it. And when you hit that play button, you take everything that we've done and take it to a whole new level. So thank you for basically validating our existence here in the potosphere. We're grateful for that. If you're feeling the love, blog about us. Share a Facebook post or two. Seriously, guys, those of you that are following the Facebook page in the roundtable, share a post or two. Would you? Come on, show me some love. Uh, review on iTunes is always a fabulous thing and as always grateful, grateful, grateful mojo to all the people who have put such excellent comments up there. Uh, so, man, it's, whew, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm going to light up a cigarette because I'm spent. <laughs> I'm done. But here's the thing. Like a phoenix from the ashes, baby, we're coming back next week with another fabulous guest host pouring wisdom into our ears, a bold and courageous guest writer boldly striding forth and putting their story on the table. More roundtable fabulosity will be in your ears in seven days and that's a long i know right that's a long damn time sometimes i feel guilty about that brian be my priest expunge my guilt what what can we give unto our listeners that will make these seven days fly by well that's a lot of time to be living it up in the clouds or working your fingers to the bone in the factories or rummaging through the outskirts but you can always find somewhere to sit down you can always find something to write on and you can always find something to write with even if it's just a piece of charcoal so go right yes i could not possibly agree more put your stories in the world people it's the only way it's going to get better well not the only way but it's a really good way to make the world a better place with your mojo in it and i will tell you as i always do dear friends you find what you're looking for so look for that top shelf blue label goodness look for the christmas package in the back of the tree look for the lost change in the sofa it's there well, okay, maybe not the change, but if you look for, <laughs> if you look for fabulosity and good stuff, I promise you, friends, you will find it. We will be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, and be awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios. 
and is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.